Thank you, Jim and Tricia. Friends, please join with me in prayer. Gracious God, we ask your continued blessing on this time of worship, that through your word we might grow closer and draw nearer to you, and that we might take a lesson from today into our lives, something new that comes from only you. In your son's name we pray. Amen. I have said this before that I like to place myself into the scene when Jesus is talking, especially when he's talking with his disciples. And I wonder, I find myself often wondering whether Jesus relishes the human response to his teachings. I, I wonder whether Jesus would pause sometimes to wait for the reaction, a little expectant raise of the eyebrows. I wonder this particularly with texts like this morning's gospel lesson that Mindy read that continues our time with the Sermon on the Mount. Throughout this whole compilation of Jesus' teachings over the past few weeks that we've been studying, Jesus has dropped little nuggets of now familiar wisdom. And each week I've wondered the same thing. Did, did Jesus know at that time just how countercultural he was being? I've settled on the answer that of course he knew it. Of course he knew, and of course he intended to be just that, countercultural. Jesus was using his teachings to change the course of humanity, one heart, one listener at a time. But he was also changing the lives and the course of the lives of those individuals right there who were hearing him, his disciples and all who could hear. He was speaking actually very literally to them, in this case, very literally in his teaching, and, and he was giving them instructions, giving them guides for the days ahead. And it's the mysterious reality, though, that 2,000 years later, the Sermon on the Mount is still surprising us, and it's still challenging us, and it's still hopefully changing us. The wonder here is that for many of us, this isn't our first time hearing or reading these teachings, and it probably isn't our first time feeling the need to push back or question these teachings. This morning's text that Mindy read seems at first to focus on three things, food, drink, and clothing. And as to these three things, Jesus basically says, don't worry about them. To his first century audience, this must have been somewhat absurd. But it also must have spoken to their immediate concern, the thing that they were focused on. Remember that these were the same people Jesus had just asked to leave behind their lives and their livelihood to follow him. Literally, drop your nets and come. And, and so like others of their time, so much of their time and energy would have had to be spent on obtaining these three, food, drink, and clothing. In fact, their very survival, just as our survival, is linked to these three. So you see what I mean about the eyebrow raise. Don't worry about food, drink, and what you'll wear. There's no response here from the disciples. I wonder if you notice that. There's no response from the disciples or anyone else who's listening. 
The interesting thing is that we don't really see times in the in the Gospels where the disciples express much worry about these things after Jesus says it. And, and maybe that's because Jesus does, in fact, fill the stomachs of the hungry. Think of the feeding of the 5,000, right? He does provide wine for a wedding when the hosts have run out. Throughout the Gospel, we see these examples of Jesus doing says doing what he says he will do. He says, I will take care of it. In other parts of the gospel, Jesus says these eyebrow-raising instructions, though, and there's some dialogue. Someone comes back to Jesus. Often it's Peter, and they question him. And it would make sense for them to question him this time. If psychologist Abraham Maslow was there, Maslow would have either jumped up or at least perked up. Maslow was a psychologist, and in the 1940s, he came up with a theory that's known to many of you, I'm sure, a theory regarding human needs and aspirations. What became known as Maslow's hierarchy of needs is this motivational theory comprising of a five-tier model of human needs, often depicted as hierarchical, hierarchical levels within a pyramid. Needs down on the lower end in the hierarchy must be satisfied before individuals can attend to needs higher up. From the bottom of the hierarchy upwards, the needs are physiological, safety, love and belonging, esteem, and self-actualization. The foundational needs, the physiological needs, these include food, water, and clothing. Maslow found that before one could attend to any of their other needs, their need for safety, their needs for achievement, before anything else, these basic needs must be met. As with many breakthrough theories that I learn about, my immediate response when learning this was to say, sure, that makes perfect sense. It, it, it almost feels obvious. When we're hungry, thirsty, or cold, we're not going to be worried or concerned about much of anything else. So when Jesus says, don't worry about being hungry or thirsty or cold, you see why I want to give Jesus a questioning look back. Or is this one of those times when we give Jesus a look of, okay, now you've pushed a little too far. Maybe you're even giving the eye roll look my direction instead. Yeah, 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 Eric. That scripture sounds good. But come on, you don't really believe that, do you? And so I think the easy answer to this text or our response to it is to either ignore it. And frankly, though, we run out of the ability to do that if we ignore all of the difficult texts in Scripture. So another easy answer is to misread the text. And I want to make something very clear, something that we might not make clear enough all the time. This text should not be, cannot be used to in any way diminish the anxiety that many people experience, the anxiety that many of you experience. Especially clinically diagnosed anxiety and other mental health conditions have been a source of shame and embarrassment in our society. And this judgment has no place in the church, and it's against everything Christ teaches. Our congregation has been a place of welcome to all and encouragement and I know that many of you have experienced and walked alongside one another as they've struggled with mental health challenges. I'm confident that in this text, 
Jesus is using these foundational, fundamental, universally necessary needs of food, water, and clothing to make this clear that he's talking to everyone. And he's talking about more. He's talking about more than merely that anxiety. In fact, Jesus knows that these fundamental needs would most certainly be a cause for worry for everyone. But even more than that, Jesus knows the importance to all people of these these three things, food, water, and clothing. In fact, much later in Matthew's gospel, in, in Matthew chapter 25, just before the Last Supper, another time when Jesus is providing food and drink, Jesus is talking with his disciples, and he's telling them a story about God's judgment on humanity. And his teaching reveals a chilling but clear answer to this question of what is expected of the church, what is expected to avoid God's judgment. Jesus tells them that that God is going to separate people into two groups. He says that they'll be separated like a shepherd separates sheep and goats. You remember this story probably, some on his left and some on his right. And he says to one group, the sheep, come, you that are blessed by my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry and you gave me food. I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger and you welcomed me. I was naked and you gave me clothing. I was sick and you took care of me. I was in prison and you visited me. And they're surprised by this. Lord, when was it that we saw you hungry and gave you food or thirsty and gave you something to drink? And when was it that we saw you a stranger and welcomed you or naked and gave you clothing? And when was it that we saw you sick or in prison and visited you? And the king will answer them. Truly, I tell you. Just as you did it to one of the least of these who are members of my family, you did it to me. Jesus describes the same scenario with the other group, the goats. He essentially tells them that they're a bit doomed. For I was hungry and you gave me no food. I was thirsty and you gave me nothing to drink. I was a stranger and you did not welcome me naked and you did not give me clothing. Sick and in prison and you did not visit me. Then they also will answer, Lord, when was it that we saw you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or naked or sick or in prison and did not take care of you? Then he will answer them. Truly, I tell you, just as you did not do it to one of the least of these, you did not do it to me. Food, drink, and clothing. It's not a coincidence that Jesus tells them not to worry about food, drink, and clothing. And then later, and later, has this story of the sheep and the goats, food, drink, and clothing. Jesus knows that they are important. And and so there's, there's nothing in this morning's text, and especially nothing in Matthew 25, to take away from these human needs. And if you don't have these things you need, you're naturally going to worry. And Jesus knows this. Jesus knows the human needs, and he didn't need Maslow's hierarchy to show him that human existence involves worrying about these needs. 
This this text from Matthew 25, it's it's a guiding principle for the church. It's a guiding principle for our church. It's why we are compelled to fill the can outside with non-perishable food each week and, and why Kathy Winterstrom takes carloads of food each week to the food pantry. It's why we encourage donations of coats during the winter. You saw that announcement at the beginning of the service, information about collecting coats for those who need them. It's why our mission committee is going to have a presentation for everyone to come to over Zoom. It's going to be on December 9th, and we're going to gather on Zoom, and we're going to learn about um, what's going on with the unhoused and the underhoused community in Chicagoland. We're going to have representatives from organizations that we support financially so that we can learn and understand and be a part of what Jesus is talking about in Matthew 25. When Jesus strikes right at the core of our human needs and says, don't worry about it, where is he pointing us then? Jesus uses these examples precisely because they are so intimately connected to all of us. But what Jesus says in our text is that we have a fundamental need that precedes even these things that comes before our needs that Maslow said were the fundamental and foundational needs. We have a need for God. We have a need for God's transformational presence in our lives. We have the need for the God who sustains us and feeds us and clothes us in God's righteousness and God's abundance. We have a need that may not manifest itself in thirst or rumblings of hungry or the shiver of cold, but a need that transcends the physical, a need for comfort in the midst of our anxiety, our fundamental return to God, our foundational experience of God's grace. These are the places in which we continually must place our attention. And so there's a replacement here. Don't worry about food or drink or clothing. Worry instead about first seeking God's righteousness. And this is where the good news comes, my friends. This is where the good news is, the good news of grace, because this is where the heavenly provider, the God of all compassion and love and understanding, this is where the lavishness of God's love becomes made evident. This is where Christ's death and resurrection and where God's transformation of even our lives all comes to a beautiful crescendo. Friends, the good news is that while we may worry about so many things in our lives, even and especially today, the assurance of Jesus Christ is that when we pursue God, God meets us. God meets us even in our worry. When we seek God, we will find God because it is God who finds us. When our starting point is with God through prayer and through learning about God through scripture, and talking about God and our faith with others, when our starting point is with God, then what we know and realize is that it is God who is with us as we face all that we face. We face it all with God in all the ways that God loves and support us, and over and over and over again as we seek to follow God. With, with that as our starting point, as we seek to follow God, we will find that we begin to adopt and live into the values and, part, and the priorities of the one we follow. 
From our starting point of discipleship, we will discover and learn that when someone else is praying for their daily bread, it might be us who answers their prayer. We will learn that when others worry about food and drink and clothing, we might be the ones who provide it and erase their worry. We take on the aroma of Christ. We take on the characteristics of our creator, the one who designed us for love, the one who desires our love. And so, yes, we will pay attention in our lives to our needs. We'll work and we'll strive for accomplishments. That's not going away. And yes, we'll worry and we'll have anxieties in our lives. And, and Jesus knows this. But as our starting point, as our starting point, Jesus invites us to seek God. Have you thought much about what that means? Has that been a priority in your life? To know God, to follow God. And in doing so, even in the midst of all that we endure, trusting that God will somehow provide, God will somehow be with us, God will somehow surprise us, and God will even somehow use us, and perhaps use us to be the provision and the presence and the surprise to others. So may our starting point be with God, with seeking God, and with being God's disciple, following God, worshiping God, in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.